You turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing our study of that book. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at two verses today, verses 12 and 13. This is the Word of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We know that without him at work this morning, we will not understand. We will not grow and be conformed into the image of your Son. We will not glorify you more and more. So we ask that he would be at work, that you would speak your words this morning, that we would hear and tremble and rejoice. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. That's not an error on the screen. I was trying to come up with an illustration to describe this. And there's the idea of like a spring where it's the, it's the forces that are coming against it that creates the dynamism. Or maybe if this is more your speed, it's two football teams. Some of you guys experienced this yesterday. Working against each other and it's the struggle back and forth that creates this magnificent thing. But, but all these metaphors, all these illustrations don't work. They don't explain what is happening in these verses. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. See, we look at this tension, and scholars over and over again point out that this, this tension is, is so strong. What does it mean to work out our own salvation, but it is God who works in us? And we look at this passage in particular, and we want to use a metaphor or, or downplay one part or play up another part to try to relieve that tension. But we shouldn't. It is a good thing that these two ideas are right next to each other, and not just that they are here in the same passage, but perhaps two of the strongest affirmations of our responsibility and working out of our salvation and God's active work in us are right next to each other. That's not an accident, because we see that that God's work of salvation bears its fruit in the faithful obedience of his people. God's work of salvation bears its fruit in the faithful obedience of his people. And so we're going to look at these ideas, four things to look at this morning. What does it mean to work out your own salvation? What does it mean to do it with fear and trembling? What does it mean that God is the one at work in you? And what does it mean that it is for his good pleasure? 
first, what does it mean to work out your own salvation? You notice right before this, in verse 12, he has the word therefore, right? which is connecting what has come before to what he's about to say. We just saw last week this, this example of Christ's humiliation and exaltation, this description, this glorious description of Christ's work. And then Paul turns and says, just as Christ was obedient, you should be obedient. And he has this little note here about, about his presence and absence. Just, just as you obeyed when I was there, you should obey even more when I'm gone. He, he's pointing out this human tendency that we all have where if someone's watching us, we're going to do a lot better than if they're not. He's saying, you don't need me to be there in order to be obedient. You don't need me there with you for you to be faithful to Christ. And then he goes on to say, work out your own salvation. He's saying, I'm not working it out for you. You're not working out my salvation. Work out your own salvation. Paul's pointing to the fact that he cannot follow Christ for the Philippians. I cannot follow Jesus for you. If parents, if you've got youth in the youth group, if you're looking to me to follow Jesus for your children, I have some bad news for you. No pastor can be faithful for you. This is really bad branding on Paul's part because now the whole shtick is to say, what you need is what I have to offer. And Paul's saying, no, 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 I am not there, and you don't need me to be there. Follow and obey and work out your own salvation. And we have, a trouble, we have trouble with that phrase because we understand that salvation is from God. It comes through faith alone. And so we try to, try to weasel our way around it or try to fall off one side or the other and, and use a whole bunch of unhelpful analogies. Well, you just need to let go and let God. Or you just need to fake it until you make it. The key to understanding what Paul is saying here is to take the whole passage together, not to try to divide it up and say, well, this means that, but that means that, but they're not connected at all. And, and to try to take them in the, in the whole breadth of Scripture. Most importantly, though, the key to understanding this is to understand what does he mean by salvation? See, we have this tendency, especially as Protestants, to, to reduce salvation only to justification. Justification is this idea that that my debt of sin has been paid, that I now have a right relationship with God. There's nothing getting in the way of my connection to God. And that is part of salvation, certainly, but that's not it entirely. Because in one sense, yes, we are already saved. As it says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. By grace, you have been saved through faith. But also, throughout the New Testament, throughout Paul even, we see him emphasize that the salvation is an ongoing process. In 1 Timothy, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord will rescue me. It's an ongoing thing. It's a future thing. In Acts and and in 2 Corinthians, we see that that Christians, followers of Christ, are referred to as those who are being saved. 
in process. The salvation is ongoing. Even as we read earlier from 1 Peter 1, he referred to the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We talked about obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation is not just justification by faith. That is a huge, central, magnificent part of it. But our salvation is so much more than that. Calvin referred to our salvation as the entire course of our calling that is accomplished through God and what He is doing. God is doing it, but it is not just justification. It is the entire course of our calling. Everything that Christians do is our salvation. Sometimes we think of salvation just as like a ticket to heaven. And so I'm just going to go, I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm going to sit and just wait until that happens. And that's not what salvation is. We're not just sitting on a ticket. In Romans, Paul talks about the ultimate goal of our salvation. That God foreknew his people. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's sanctification. That's this ongoing process. This is going forever and ever until the Lord comes back or until we see death. That is the ultimate goal of our salvation. So when Paul says to work out your own salvation, what he's not saying is to work for your salvation, but he's saying to work through it or from it or, or because of it. This salvation has happened, is happening, will happen, and you need to work in and on and through that process. And the reason I'm using so many different words is because you can't really get the whole sense of it completely with one. The natural outflow of our salvation, of our rescue in Jesus, is, is to process this, to understand it, to, to, to wrestle with it, to expand and expound it into every area of our lives, into our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions, what we do, how we treat others, how we worship working out our salvation into every area of our lives so that we can be made into the image of Jesus, that we can look like him. This is why Paul can say, just a, a chapter later, that, he's, that not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, I can press on to make it my own. That's why he can say to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This doesn't mean that God gives us an Ikea salvation that we have to like figure out. How does this all work together? It's, it's more like living out a marriage that's already happened. Now, you've already been married. You don't get more married, but you live that out into every area of 
life. This is a difficult process. It isn't, Paul's not making light of this. It's difficult. It's ongoing. It's, it's never ending. That's why he says in, in various places, it's like, it's like a boxer who's, who's preparing for the match and is fighting for the prize. It's like a racer who's running the race. These metaphors aren't like, oh, it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? This is an ongoing, difficult thing. But notice there's no evaluation criteria here. He's not saying work out your salvation and here's how to know if you're doing it well. This is about persistent faithfulness. I've heard it said that grace is allergic to earning, but not to effort. And that's what Paul is talking about here, to work out your own salvation, not to earn it, but because of it. We see perhaps the greatest picture of this in John 5 when Jesus heals this crippled man. But he doesn't just heal him and walk away. He says, go, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus healed the man. Jesus rescued the man. Jesus saved the man, you could say. But then the man took up his mat and walked in that salvation, in that rescue. So we must, too, work out our salvation. Some have characterized this as a struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's part of it for certain. But we can have a tendency to say, okay, working out my salvation. I know someone who needs to hear that. I know someone who's not working out their salvation. Those people over there, that person that I'm friends with on Facebook, whatever it is, this addresses not them. This is addressing you. Paul's not talking to the Philippians to go tell the Galatians. <laughs> He's saying, you, work out your own salvation. What these verses do not do is give us any excuse for poorly engaging what God has richly provided. He's given us a church. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. And He's saying, Work out your salvation with these things. Use these things at your disposal. This will require us to be honest with ourselves about the anger in our hearts, about the greed that we are living out, about the way that we speak to and about others about our own pride, where we're putting our hope, about the things that we are lusting after and pursuing and desiring. And we must work out this salvation in community. It is not meant to be done by ourselves. He's talking to the whole Philippian church when he says to work out your own salvation. And he means to do it together. That could mean coming to worship. That could mean joining a small group. We have an ongoing discipleship program. We have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning where we hear from Scripture and we pray together for the needs that we have and the praise of our God. And so we are to work out our own salvation. But we are to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. And we don't like this phrase in the modern era. We don't like the idea of fear. 
We definitely don't like the idea of being so afraid that you're trembling. That's not a good thing in our mind, but that's not the case in Scripture. And some of it comes from our, our misunderstanding it. Some of it comes from the differences in ways that words are used. But Scripture regularly talks about the fear of the Lord as a good thing. It's talked about as the beginning of wisdom. Do you want to know what it's like to live out in every area of life, a.k.a. wisdom? Well, you have to start with the fear of the Lord. This includes the fear of God's power and his ability to judge, but that's not all of it. That's not even most of it. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses says to the people of Israel, do not fear for God has come to test you. They see all the power that he's displaying on Mount Sinai. He says, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. (laughs) Do not fear because God wants the fear of him before you. It's, it's, it, it's hard for us to understand. This, this fear uh, of God, to be afraid of him, only makes sense if you don't know who he is, you don't know what he's like, and you don't have any hope in his son. But if you're in Christ, then that fear represents a deep respect but not just respect. Respect is almost too light a word. It's, it's almost emotionless. It's, it's, a, it's a reverence. It's an awe. It's, it's a fear that, that goes out into our emotions and physical nature, that we are so awestruck by God that we can fear and tremble. It's the constant awareness of God's presence in our lives, that everything we do, in every place that we go, that God is with us, that we are living our lives before him. And this should lead us to worship. Because if we are constantly living our lives before him, that, mean God, that means God sees everything we do. And yet he does not strike us down. He does not punish us. Instead, he offers more mercy and more grace and more forgiveness in his son. And so we should worship him in response. And we should worship him because as we're going about our lives, God is preserving us. God is caring for us. God is protecting us at all times. This idea of fear and trembling calls back to the passage that comes immediately before where God is going to highly exalt Jesus and bestow on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the kind of fear, kind of awesome reverence that is he's talking about. That is how we are to work out our salvation, with that kind of attitude and awareness as to what God is doing. Paul uses this phrase all the time, but it's, it's not just Paul. Psalm chapter 2, we see that we are to serve the Lord with fear, and to rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. To enjoy this. This is a good thing, a blessing for us. We know that God is awesome. We know that He is powerful, but He is also good. And so we should live out our salvation in recognition of that. Maybe you hear the fear of God. Maybe... You do fear his judgment. Maybe you are looking at your own heart and you see things there and you're ashamed. 
and you don't think you're worthy, and you're afraid of what God could or would or will do, that's not what he's calling you to. He's calling you to look to Jesus, to recognize that it is him who works in you, and to respect and and wonder at him, yes, but to work out your salvation, not in fear, but in love for him. It's the idea of, of, I I hope I get this right. I hope I don't mess this up. Versus God is so good and so beautiful that that I I just want to do the best that I can because of who he is. Not to earn his love, but because I know that I have his love no matter what. And so we are to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He almost can't leave it there because he immediately counters it with, for it is God who works in you. But, but not even counters it. He just follows it up because he recognizes this, this synergistic work that these two things cooperate together. Yes, you are to work out your own salvation, but all that work is undergirded by the fact that it is God who works in you. One translator said it's, it's, it'd be, almost be better translated, for the one who works, the working is God. For the one who works, the working is God. It's, the emphasis is so strongly on God's activity in this. And this idea guards against the, the works righteousness that we so easily fall into. This idea that I can do it. If I can just figure out the right way, the right order, the right thoughts or attitudes or habits, I can just align it all together and figure out righteousness. Like a Rubik's Cube that just suddenly pops together. That's not what Scripture says. This is an encouragement. This empowers righteous living. It doesn't preclude it. It doesn't mean that that we get a nice Jesus charge and then we go off and do our own things because God is the one who works in us both to will and to act. This is an incentive. This is an encouragement to us. This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15 as he's describing the vine when he says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is is the, the truth of the gospel, that yes, we are called to work out our salvation, but that it is God who works in us. This is what Paul was talking about way back in chapter 1 when he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God does not start something that he does not finish it. And he began a good work in the Philippians. There's plentiful evidence of that that Paul himself has seen, and he says God will carry it on to completion. It's an ongoing thing. Both salvation and good works are a gift from God. Again, from Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
You can hear again, he's going back and forth, even in those verses where he's, he's emphasizing the, the giftedness, the, the unmeritedness of our salvation. He says that we are to walk in the works that God has prepared beforehand. It is God who works in you. As he says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. God is the one who works in you. And he does this both to will and to work. It's not just that he, he empowers and enables and undergirds the actual acts that we do, but even the will to do them. God works in us to our wills, the desire, the, the motivation, the, the unction to do these things. God is the one who works in them. Our whole beings are being transformed, not just our minds. God doesn't just download into our heads spirituality and we figure it out. It doesn't just change our bodies. It doesn't just change us spiritually. He changes all these things so that he is willing in us working in our desires, in our motivations, to be changed and conformed into the image of Christ so that we would will the same things that God wills, that we would desire the same things that God desires, that we would seek after the same things that God seeks after. And if that's not true of you, you might need to ask why that is. Are you quenching the work of God? Are you trying to, to tamp it down? Are you neglecting it? God is gifting us salvation. He's gifting us sanctification. But that work through His Spirit does not undercut our obedience. doesn't mean, well, I don't have to do anything. God's doing it all. Instead, it, it, it empowers, it, it makes possible our obedience. I can't read the whole thing because it's super long, but I highly encourage you to go check out the Canons of Dort. I know that's the first time anyone's ever said to you that sentence. I highly encourage you to go check out the Canons of Dort. Canons of Dort, 3 and 4, Articles 11 and 12, expand this beautifully, much more carefully and precisely than I can do here. But it, but it says this one thing that, that I want to, to, to share with you. It says, like a good tree... Our will may be enabled to produce the fruits of good deeds. And the will now renewed is not only activated and motivated by God, but in being activated by God, it is also itself active. That God activates and renews and empowers our wills, and then our wills go and, and are active. God is working in us and through our wills, not just upon us. To paraphrase, Kuiper, there is no square inch of the believer's life over which God does not declare mine. Every single bit of your being, God is looking at it and saying, that belongs to me, and I am going to work my purposes in and through it. There is some debate amongst scholars whether the phrase should be among you or in you. And it doesn't really work in the context or the Greek. But people want to try to resolve the tension in this passage by bringing this up. But, but it does 
does get at the idea that one of the primary ways that God works in his people individually is in the community corporately. And so if you want to know whether God is at work in you, look at your relationships. This is why Paul begins the whole of chapter 2 by saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if God has done anything at all in your life, it should work its way out in relationships. We can't say to ourselves that God is at work in our lives truly, fully, if our relationships are crumbling through our own sin, if our relationships are are failing due to our neglect. God wants to work Himself, His Spirit, out through us so that we are conformed to the image of His Son in our relationships as well. What does this mean? This means that we need to lean into God's faithfulness. God is being faithful. We don't have to do anything to make that happen. That is happening, but we can lean into God's faithfulness. We can meditate on it. How often do you take during the day a moment to consider what I'm doing right now? I'm doing this in the presence of God. That God is is here with me. That His Spirit is in me. That He is doing what I'm doing through me. Just stop and consider that. To practice the the affirmation that that God is working in me. That He has promised good things to do to me and for me and through me. And to pursue those things. So we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us both to will and to act for His good pleasure. And if you don't get anything else today, I want you to hear this. That God does this work in you because He likes it. God is at work and his people, because he likes it. That he enjoys seeing us live out the life that he bought for us in Christ. See, we have this false idea that that God just really loves punishment. He just loves judging people. And don't get me wrong, God is a just God who, who desires just this to be done. But, but he, he does not enjoy punishment. One, one theologian put it this way, he said, Grace and salvation are the object of God's delight. Grace and salvation are the objects of God's delight. For God does not delight in sin, neither has he pleasure in punishment. God loves to show mercy to his people. And what brings him pleasure is for our good. In Romans 8, we've all heard the verse before, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He has called us according to his purpose, and he loves us. And he is working things in us for his good pleasure. 
as James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And God loves you. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. That His Son went to the cross, not as a prisoner, not under compulsion, willingly, because He loves you. God loves you, and He loves seeing you trust in Him. and He loves seeing you work out this gift that He has given to you. It's like a father puts the bike together on Christmas Eve, the kid gets it on, 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 on Christmas morning, and the father loves nothing else than to see him get out and ride that thing down the street. God does this. God is working in you because he likes it, because he loves you. And he is asking you to work out this gift that he has given you. This is a difficult thing to understand. There are so many inadequate metaphors. You could talk about a parent teaching a kid. You could talk about a superhero who gets superpowers but then has to go and do the thing his own self. There's, there's so many ways to explain this that all try to solve the problem here. But the, the, the problem is that it is not a riddle to be solved. It is, it is a truth to be lived out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand this. It's almost too much for us to understand. What does this mean that we are to Work out our salvation that is also a gift as you work in us. Father, help us to lean into your faithfulness, to look at your handiwork in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, in your church throughout generations, to see that you are working in and through your people. And help us to be faithful and to obey, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling but knowing that you are working in us, in our wills, in our acts, in our words. But Father, most of all, that you are doing it for your good pleasure, that you love us, that you like us, that you want to see us faithful, be more and more like your Son, who we are following after, and in whose name we pray. Amen.